Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, I hope you're enjoying a beautiful weekend. Uh, you know, whether you like it or not, it, summer is still here. You know, we're uh, enjoying a Labor Day weekend. It's a little thin in here, but that's okay because many of us are enjoying uh, activities, travel, kind of last camping trips, things like that. But I've always appreciated um, holiday weekends. You know, I guess for me, especially holiday weekends that kind of afford some of us like a day off, a different, you know, a change up to our routine or our schedule, it just is so nice, isn't it? It frees us up from the normal constraints of our routines, our schedules, expectations. You know, these kind of days, at least for me, they kind of work like reset or transition days. They kind of help me just kind of have an unexpected moment of rest and respite. And even though I may be doing chores or catching up on projects or getting out of the house with the family, you know, the fact that the rhythm has been shifted allows my mind and soul to process and prepare for what's, come, what's to come, the season to come, what's happening next. This morning, our sermon will kind of work like that for us. Of course, we've just wrapped up a mega 11-part series of teaching called The Mount, in which we were focusing on the words that Jesus shared in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're preparing now for the next phase, the next act in the book of Matthew, the next set of teachings, of course, that we now see as Jesus comes off the mountain, he begins to now enact the things that he's been saying, the things that he's been preaching. He begins to live those out through his actions. And of course, that happens a lot through healing, through miraculous signs. Just to orient ourselves of where we've been and where we're going, um, I'd like to take a big snapshot. Some of us have been here from the, from the very beginning. Some of us are hopping on this bus kind of mid-track, and that's great. But we've been intentionally looking at the life of Jesus in the weeks, like the following week right after Easter, leading up to Pentecost, and now in the season leading up to Advent. And as we've been doing that, we've been intentional. We've been looking at, first, the promise that Jesus gave to us to wait of course, we remember his words when he encouraged his disciples to wait in the upper room, uh, to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and wait for the promise that God had given, the power, the filling. And then we spent many weeks following the work of the disciples, Peter, Paul, those who now were experiencing the Holy Spirit in their lives in a dramatic way, and how that then affected their ministry, changed their priorities, changed their motivations. In many ways, it resulted in miraculous signs and healings themselves. 
The Holy Spirit works in believers by renewing our minds to be like the mind of Christ, allowing us to see the world the way God does, and then to actively uh, participate, to actively join in to that work that the Holy Spirit is doing and leading us into. Of course, we focused on the fact that the Holy Spirit works in us in kind of six primary ways. The Holy Spirit leads us to the truth. The Holy Spirit reveals and interprets God's word for us. The Holy Spirit guides our hearts and convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit reshapes our thoughts and behaviors, making us more into the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers us to bear witness to and enact the kingdom of God, and the Holy Spirit unifies us with one another. We intentionally began this series at the end. Of course, we were in the season between Easter leading up to Pentecost, so it was good to remind us of the work that happened when the Holy Spirit came upon all humanity in in Pentecost. But we intentionally started at the end because you know, that's the way good stories work these days. I don't know if you noticed when you watch a TV show, they show you like the last minute of, the, of, the show, of what's going to happen, and then they rewind and tell you everything that led up to it. You know, sometimes it's good to keep that in mind for us because as we've experienced through 11 weeks of the Mount, hearing Jesus' teaching, it's easy for us to kind of disassociate, to, to think that, okay, that's going to be Jesus doing that. But that wasn't the promise, was it? The promise was that those who call Jesus Lord and follow him would participate in this work. As we began the Sermon on the Mount series, the Mount series, we started, of course, with the Beatitudes we talked about how the Sermon on the Mount in its whole is kind of like the constitution that we have, you know, in our country. It's kind of like the constitution for the church. And the Beatitudes are its preamble. The Beatitudes proclaim what is in light of the heaven, the kingdom of heaven, unassailably true about us. That we're steeped and formed in a national identity in our societies and our cultures, our communities, but We live every day benefiting from those ideals and those symbols and those systems. In the same way, our first and primary identity as citizens of the kingdom of God should be steeped and formed in our kingdom identity. We should live every day benefiting from the ideals, the systems, and the structures of the kingdom of heaven. You've heard me say these things over the last few weeks, months, but sometimes the repetition is good because it takes the work of the Spirit in our hearts to open, to hear things new and fresh. Jesus challenged us in every way for the, for the, from the calling to be salt and light to warnings about greed and judgment to the admonition to follow in his teaching and firmly root our lives in his kingdom ideals. Now, as we have wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount, we're beginning into the next, the next stage, the next act. This is the way. Is that what you said, Jay? Today, we begin investigating the life of Jesus exemplified through his actions. Over the next six weeks, we'll be hearing story after story of miraculous power over creation 
and over our bodies. Stories of healing, miracles, and wonders. We'll consider how these powerful events should inform and shape our daily lives and those following in the way of Jesus. After our series, so now looking ahead, in October and November, we'll be wrapping up this whole exercise, this whole experiment in a collection of sermons on the parables of Jesus. These colorful, strangely rich, oddly confusing stories that tell us what the kingdom is all about, what it's like. And of course, we remember oftentimes if you've read or heard the parables, if you've studied them, it seemed that Jesus kind of really relished in making people see that the way we think things work, don't, they don't always work that way, especially in God's kingdom. The way the world works, the, the things that we kind of get drawn up in, the kingdom of heaven is often working in ways that are different than that. So before we dive into this morning's sermon, I'd invite us to pray. Let's pray. Living God, help us to so hear your holy word that we may truly understand. And that understanding we may then believe, and then by believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. Well, we'll be in Matthew chapter 8. You're welcome to turn there if you'd like to follow along on your own device or your phone. It'll be on the screens for you. We'll be hearing the story of two healings, Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testament to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you, come, have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority and my soldiers are under me. I tell one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When the Lord heard this, he was amazed, and he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Skipping to verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I don't know about you, but anytime I read about the healings of Christ, you know, I get excited, but I also kind of get scared. So let's address the obvious right up front. So you don't like think, you're not sitting there wondering if I'm not thinking about it and maybe just not addressing it. But of course, healing, calming of storms, casting out of demons, Jesus was doing these things because he was the living incarnate flesh of God, you know, God in flesh, and you and I are not, right? So when we read about the healings that are happening in Scripture, it's easy, I I used that word earlier, it's easy to disassociate. Even when we hear the stories about Peter and Paul and others who are in, you know, participating in these miracles, well, those are the, the disciples, the apostles, the saints. We're just normal people. (laughs) You know, that's perfectly true, but as you'll see in the coming weeks, the act of living and working in God's kingdom is not limited to incarnate deities, which is good because we've only had one. Nor is it the miraculous component over the nature, you know, that's limited to just certain folks. You know, we see, of course, Christ in flesh, the living God, but we had a promise remember thinking back. We had a promise that Jesus gave to us. I'm not implying that our experiences of the kingdom of heaven will be devoid of the miraculous. No, we saw Jesus demonstrate this, but we also had Jesus give us a promise when he said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing And that they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. So let us just state the obvious, that the way of the kingdom and its miraculous nature is a mystery. You know, they amaze us when we are invited into moments in which the Holy Spirit does something miraculous. They inspire us. They draw us but we don't always understand how it works. All we know is we're being asked to be obedient and to be available. Good? Okay. So from this account of the two healings, I'd like us to really consider four main things. These are in your notes, so this is kind of where you can start following along, and we're going to give a few opportunities for you guys to reflect and to actually kind of spend some time writing in these notes and and reflecting. But I'd like to consider the the following four things from these two healings. Authority, compassion, restoration, and faith. These are the main themes that we see in these two healings. Authority, compassion, restoration, and faith. So first, authority. The dictionary definition of authority. A person having power or control in a particular, typically political or administrative sphere. There's a few other definitions, but that's the one that kind of makes the most sense in this context. A person having power or control in a particular sphere. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The Jews observing the ministry of Jesus 
would be the first to proclaim that God has control and authority over all of his creation, over our bodies, our ailments, the weather, all of it. You know, Matthew's gospel is quick to recognize that Jesus is operating under the authority of God the Father. And the miracles and signs that are being performed are sanctioned by the restoring, by the restoring healing that God, who created the world, has authority over. God created us. God created the world. He, it's his right to have authority over it. But he's passed that authority onto Jesus. The crowds noted the authority by which Jesus was teaching. Remember the last few verses of chapter 7 that we heard last week. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught with one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So the crowds were already recognizing the authority that was on Jesus in his teaching. But now we see Jesus' authority like actually being lived out, being fleshed out in his actions. We see this demonstrated through the interaction with the Roman centurion, a Gentile. The societies in which we live, you know, while different in many ways, there's one thing that is really common among all of us. We recognize the power of authority. When the centurion said to Jesus, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. He's recognizing the authority in Jesus. And then very soon, in just a few chapters ahead, we see that authority then kind of starting to shift and emerge in really fascinating ways. In chapter 10 of Matthew, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. In John, Jesus tells his followers, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father, it is good for you that I go away. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Are you following the progression of authority? God, and then Jesus, and now Jesus imparting it upon his disciples, and then Jesus promising the Holy Spirit would come and provide authority to all who call upon his name. God, through Jesus, then through the Holy Spirit, carries the authority to heal and to restore. He's simply looking for those willing to join him in his work. Think of the Bible stories, the ones that we heard during our series, The Promise, the stories of Peter and of Paul participating in the healing that was happening because the Holy Spirit was already at work. Simply saying, go there, meet this person, say, start getting involved in the work, and then miraculous things happened. Healings take place through folks just like you and me today. Miraculous signs happen around us, not because we make them happen, but because the Holy Spirit is at work. So the first question I'd like us to ponder, in what circumstances or relationships would you like, would you invite the Holy Spirit to demonstrate power and authority? Have we thought about that? 
I'll give us a minute. Let's think about that. If you'd like to jot something on your paper, do that. In what circumstance or relationship would you invite the Holy Spirit to demonstrate power or authority? I'd invite you to kind of this question, but the, the, the three that will come, it might be hard in this very moment to like have your right answer, but I'd invite you to be thinking about this. Take this paper home with you, fill it out, allow it to guide your prayers, guide your time with the Lord over the coming week. Authority. Next, compassion. When the man with leprosy came and knelt before him, he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out and he touched him and he said, I am willing, be clean. A few verses later in Matthew, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Again, looking back at the dictionary, compassion is the sympathetic pity or concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Sympathetic pity or concern. Jesus demonstrates that compassion, the compassion of heaven, is not just a feeling, a pity or concern. It takes action. It goes from just a feeling to an action. Bringing justice and reconciliation. Walter Brueggemann in his book, The Prophetic Imagination, says the compassion of Jesus is to be understood not simply as a personal emotion, uh, not a personal emotional reaction, but as a public criticism in which he dares to act upon his concern, moving against the general numbness that his society demonstrated. Paraphrasing, he goes on to say, empires live by numbness. Empires in their militarism are numb to the human cost of war. Corporate economies are numb to the imbalance of wealth and exploitation. Jesus penetrates our numbness with his compassion. He enters into the hurt of the world, embraces it, and overcomes it. The need for compassion in our world is great. Maybe at times it feels too great. A never-ending sea of brokenness and hurt. But we must take inspiration from Jesus. Did Jesus heal every broken person that he passed along the road? Have you ever thought about that? Of course, the scripture doesn't give us accounts of what Jesus didn't do. But just thinking about the obviousness. No, he didn't. He, he, he couldn't. Maybe he could, but he didn't. Those who sought Jesus out, those who the Holy Spirit was working in, those are the ones that Jesus connected with. When Jesus was presented an opportunity, he responded in compassion. You know, I think for us today, compassion is the key. It's the key element that shakes us out of our monotony and calls us to join into something significant. Compassion is inconvenient. Compassion pulls us away from the thing that we were doing. <laughs> compassion might affect 
your bank account, might affect your schedule, but compassion is the thing that catches our attention. It's the opportunity to join the heart of Jesus and to protest against the injustice around us. So our next question today, in what circumstance or relationship can you invite the Holy Spirit to help you be more compassionate? Authority, compassion, restoration. The cast of characters in these two stories today are notable. A, Jesus, a Jewish leper and a Roman centurion. Not to steal the thunder of the weeks ahead, but the, the third healing, if you look ahead, is a woman. Three people who rec- represent those on the margins of kind of popular traditional Jewish society. A leper, a Gentile, and a woman. To someone like Jesus, these two individuals, the leper and the Gentile, the Roman centurion, these were untouchable. They were to be ignored. As a rabbi, it was Jesus' job to ignore, to shun these unclean outcasts. The Mosaic law outlined in great detail the rules to be observed by anyone like the leper who was experiencing a disease of the skin. Any illness that made them unclean and unacceptable in the eyes of their community and in the eyes of God. They were to isolate themselves from others. They could, not, they could no longer participate in the life of the community, in the religious practices that were dear to them. They needed to stay away. Likewise, the community was to avoid the person. So not just was the leper to remove themselves, but all the other Jews, they knew it was their job to stay away. To avoid the person because coming too near to coming in contact of their skin disease must be avoided at all costs. Coming in contact would immediately taint that person with the corruption, the sin that afflicted them. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. The Roman centurion represented everything that was to be hated by a Jew a godless heathen, oppressing God's chosen people, subjugating them, falling under an authority that was not from heaven. That's what the centurion represented. But Jesus saw something that his peers did not, or would not, or could not see. God's grace and, restor- and restorative power not, was not just reserved for the select few, for just the Jews, but God's power was for all people, for all mankind, for all creation. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast from the north and the south with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This is not just poetic language that Jesus gives to us in our scripture today. The non-Jewish nations were literally to the east and to the west and to the north and the south of Jerusalem, of Israel. And that people would be coming from those nations and joining in the feast. That's good news for you and I. We have a place at the table. 
Who are the lepers or the centurions in our communities, in our society, in our culture? Who represents the unclean or the threats, that, threats to that which we hold dear? How can we, how can the example of Jesus and his willingness to participate in restoration work within us? Our third question, what circumstance or relationship can you invite the Holy Spirit to join you in seeking restoration? Authority, compassion, restoration, and faith. Faith being the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Over and over again in the accounts of Scripture, we see examples of faith leading people to either believe or to chase after something incredible. Just last week, we discussed Peter's profession of faith in which Jesus became, uh, unless in which Jesus recognized his faith is the rock upon which the church of God, the church that we are part of today, was to be built. Simply his profession of faith. In the weeks to come, we will hear Jesus say over and over again something along the lines of, your faith has healed you. Re reminding ourselves of the scripture we just read earlier, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. Faith, the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. You know, we recognize great faith when we see it. Many of us have experienced great faith in our own hearts. But many of us have also experienced the disappointment, the discouraging moments when we thought we had complete trust and confidence in someone or something only to be let down. You know, our faith shapes us, it guides us. We have faith in all kinds of things, not just in the Lord. It causes us to reshape our priorities, our schedules, our finances. We might have faith in our favorite sports team and they let us down over and over. You know, we might have faith in a leader or a mentor and it's great for a season, but then they're gone and we wonder, well, man, that's a bummer. We might have faith in a significant friend you know, faith causes us to go out of our way, to buy things that we would have never expected buying, to say and do things we would have never imagined ourselves doing and saying. No, but I think a couple things to remind us of. You know, this is something that, you know, as I was thinking about, I was wrestling with, and, you know, it kind of, I think these two things will help. No matter where we direct our faith, here's two reminders to guide us. First, faith is not a tool 
to be mustered or wielded in order to coerce God or anyone else into doing what we want. It's not a commodity which can be bought, sold, or traded. Two, faith is the byproduct of a heart transformed, of a heart transformed by God. It is knowing that God will accomplish his great purpose in our lives, even when the timing or the circumstances remain a mystery. Just to address kind of something that's on my heart, how many of us have in the church been wounded by someone because they said, well, if only you had prayed hard enough. How many of us have felt victimized because an outcome didn't happen in our lives, we experienced some tragedy, and a well-meaning church person made us feel guilty like it was our fault. It wasn't your fault. We don't fully understand the mysteries of the kingdom, of how God works. But faith is knowing that God will accomplish his good purposes in our lives, even when the timing and the circumstances remain a mystery. Our friend N.T. Wright says, there's nothing in the New Testament that suggests faith is just a general awareness of a supernatural dimension or a general trust in the goodness of some distant divinity. Faith in Christian terms means believing precisely in a living God who has entrusted his authority to Jesus and is now exercising that authority through salvation, through the work of the Holy Spirit. So our final question today, what circumstance or relationship is the Holy Spirit inspiring you to increase your faith? What circumstance or relationship is the Holy Spirit inspiring you to increase your faith? Well, as we close, let let me pray for us. Lord God, we have, um, we've been challenged this morning and we're thankful for it. God, thank you for revealing in your word not only the authority that you have over creation, over our bodies. But Lord, that through these stories of your miraculous work through the life of Jesus, we can gain inspiration, that we can be inspired and challenged, Lord, to seek the authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to participate in your work through compassion, restoration. And God, we admit that at times our faith is weak, God, help us with our unbelief. We trust you. And God, we invite you and your Holy Spirit as we gather at your table, participating in the feast that you prepared. God, may this work continue in our hearts and our lives. Amen.